0: mm Tim Holt, Hey, if you are out in the plaza right now, this is your two minute warning to come either sit inside or outside on the plaza. But if you are listening to my voice, that means come on inside. It's time to get started. Grab that coffee, say bye -bye to your friends for now, or invite them to come sit with you and let's come do service together.
1: Well, good morning, Seacos. Great to have you here today. Would you all stand up with us here this morning? Good, great job. Hey, we have new service times, and you're all here on time. Way to go. Nailed it. I know some of you did show up at 10, but you're on time, so we're glad, we're glad for that. But hey, as we get started with worship, I just want to introduce you to. I've uh, been a guest with us before, but we have a special guest with us leading worship day. It's Haley Montgomery and, their, and her band. Would you guys all uh, give them a hand? warm welcome to have them here? And let me just tell you this. We, we, we love their music. We love their vibe. And if you feel like you need to clap to be a part of it and, and, and have rhythm, we want you to do that. Okay? You can. Yes. If you don't have rhythm, you can just fake clap. But just, you know, but everyone else, let's just join in. We want you to participate. Let's, and let's yeah, go. Great. Thank you, Haley, for being here.
2: like we prayed with this first service, I pray that your spirit would remind our hearts that you are worthy, that you would tune our hearts to sing these truths, to believe these truths, to rest in these truths. Lord, we desire to be here for, um, this reason chiefly to adore you. Um, And we're so grateful that it's your heart, God, to call us, to draw us in to your courts of praise, to minister to us as well as we minister to you. You're just so good, and you know what we need. You know what we walked in with. So, Lord, by your spirit, would you remind us of what we need to hear about the truth, about who Jesus is. Let's sing, what a friend we have in Jesus. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. And what And oh, what peace we often forfeit, and oh, what needless pain we bear, all because, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer on Trouble anywhere? Jesus Savior is our refuge. Take it, take it to the Lord. In Jesus oh Jesus Jesus how i trust him how i prove him more and over. Jesus Jesus precious Jesus oh for a grace to trust him more Jesus I spoke a word. You were singing over me. For you have been so so good to me. Before I took a breath, you breathed your life in me. for you have been so so kind to me Don't deserve it, still you give it. paid it all for me For you have been so you draw us into deep rest this morning, God, as we remember truly the goodness of the gospel in what this song is saying, that there's no amount of resistance, there's no amount of barriers, there's no amount of mess in our lives, God, that could keep you away, that could hold you back. Your love for us is just stronger, your pursuit of us is just so much better than ours of you, And so may this be our rest. May this be the thing that we can bang our fists on, if that's where we are, or lay our head. But God, I pray that you help us rest. Help us rest in you this morning. Open our hearts to hear what you're going to say to us in your word. We just pray that you'd speak to us, Holy Spirit. Would you speak to us? In Jesus' name, Amen. You guys can check out the screen. Hey, well,
0: good morning. Good morning, friends. Welcome to Seacoast. We're so excited you're here. Hope you had a great time worshiping this morning with Haley. Uh, Can't wait for what Brian's about to talk about this morning, but want to just take a moment to tell you about a couple of awesome things coming up in our family calendar. First of all, if you are new to this family, we have an amazing course for you called Rooted. Uh, It's a great course that's gonna take you through all the things theology, all the things Seacoast life that really make us who we are. And it's a great place for you to get started with us. It's completely free, so if you've not been a part of a Rooted course yet, go right now to respond.church to go check out Rooted and find out all that there is to know about Seacoast. Uh, Second of all, we've got some incredible groups for you to join. Our groups are starting back up soon. They are gospel communities where we get together and really just live life on life with one another, get to encourage one another. It's an incredible, incredible thing to be a part of, a part of. And we'd really love for you to come be a part of one. So if you're not a part of our group yet, again, go to respond.church in your web browser, and that's going to take care of you uh, getting a part of those gospel communities. And last of all, we would love for you to join a team. Uh, One thing we love here at Seacoast is the amount of ministry that we get to do to our surrounding area, to our kids, to our teens, all over the place. And we have so many great opportunities for you to serve within those ministries. So if you're not yet a part of serving in a ministry, volunteering weekly in a ministry to take care of people, well then please again go to respond.church and we'd love for you to come be a part of a ministry team. Friends, I'm so excited for us as we start this brand new series this morning called Family Stories. Let's jump in. That's a good looking guy, right? You know what I mean? Ryan said, we need the most attractive, well-spoken Dallas Cowboys fan on stage at all times this week, so that's what I'm here to do for you guys. It was a good week for us, Cowboys, if you guys are football fans. We lost, but we didn't really, because it's Tom Brady, you know what I'm saying? Anybody who's not a football fan is like, what in the world are you talking about? <laughs> anyway, hey guys, I'm here to welcome you guests. Every week that we get to meet inside, outside, and online, we've got guests with us, and if you were giving church a try this week, we just wanna say welcome and thank you. We're so excited that you're here. We've got a couple of things for you as guests. This week's particularly. First of all, right outside, there's a little Seacoast tent. If it is your first time with us, we'd love to get you a gift, get to know you, find out how we can pray for you. We'd also love to get you a lunch right after this service. We've got a thing called Seacoast Next, and it's a place where we're just going to tell you all about Seacoast again, get to know you a little bit more. Uh, you can come up with us right after in this room right here, right, right through these doors at the end. Upstairs, never mind, it's upstairs now. And uh, But you can go around the back of the church building, go upstairs, and we'd love to get you you lunch if you're new. But thank you guys for being with us this morning. We're starting a brand new series. I already got to hear the message once and it was impactful and powerful. So if you turn your attention to the screens, let's go ahead and get started.
1: Uh, Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to be with you here today, and again, if you are a guest with us or relatively new to Seacoast, we're so glad to have you with us. Hopefully, you know by our allowing a Cowboys fan to even be on the stage shows how welcoming we are and how we're accepting of everybody no matter how far off they are from But we're in San Diego, we don't have football, so that's okay. I guess you can cheer for who you want. But anyway, it's great to have you uh, with us here this morning. Uh, I do want to give a warm welcome. If you are a guest, and uh, another extension of this is if you want to meet us for our lunch right afterwards at Seacoast Next, uh, upstairs behind this room, uh, we'll help you find how can I get connected and get serving and just learn more about Seacoast. We want to invite you to that. And no, if you are a regular, you can't come get a free lunch. Just, you know. You you just keep supporting uh, that we can do this for our guests. So anyway, we want to invite you to that. Uh, Those of you who are online and in the plaza and in our high school room with us here this morning, we're so glad to have you connecting where you are as well. So we're starting a a series. We're going back into the book of Acts, which we started in 2013. And uh, we're getting... (laughs) Not really, but it's been a while, Uh, but we're going back into the book of Acts. We've taken a a little break from it for a while this summer, and uh, we're diving in, and we're calling this section Family Stories, and this part of it is when we think about the book of Acts, we're reading stories of the beginning of our family. In fact, one of our teaching pastors, Matt, when he was teaching in the book of Acts a few months ago, he he used the analogy of saying the book of Acts is kind of like our baby book. Um, It it tells us just who we are at the beginnings, everything except for the umbilical cord and things like that, that are the souvenirs in there. But this is the early stories of who we are. And I think if we think of our own families, you'll think of what are the family stories that are part of the folklore of your, folklore or the truth of your family? What shapes you? And made you who you are. I think most of us probably grew up and and heard either your grandparents or your parents and aunts and uncles tell stories. Maybe for you, if you have a family and you're raising a family, you have stories you share. I know that both of my parents were grew up as Minnesota farmers, and, and so there's all these farm stories, and then you know the high school days back in you know hot rods and running for the. I feel like my dad grew up in like Dukes of Hazard or something like that, just always running from the cops and stuff like that. Um, You know, the stories don't have to be true, by the way, but they're entertaining, and they shape you for who you are. Some of those types of things. But what are your stories? I was thinking of one of the stories of my family, and because of this weekend being the weekend of 9-11, first of all, is it strange to anyone other than me that it's been 20 years? It is crazy that it's been 20 years, because, I mean, how can that be that I remember it so well, being I'm 30 years old? But, but yeah, it, it feels like it was so just the other day and I was thinking about this weekend and there's this we have a family story we have a picture it's a picture of my oldest son who at the time was one years old and he's standing in the living room just playing and in the background the tv is on and you could see the trade towers on fire at the time and he's standing in front of it and the picture captures a lot right it captures here's a one-year-old just going on with life enjoying it, and on the screen, we are all shocked, and, and in the moment, he doesn't realize, but we do, that the whole world is changing in this one photograph. Now, what's even more strange about this is that we took that picture, and that day, I went to, uh, to get these pictures on that roll of film developed. Um, students, so a roll of film is where we used to <laughs> use a, a device, take pictures, and it went onto a, a piece of paper type thing, and then you'd go develop it. So, um, so but on that, where I have a picture of my son looking at the trade towers um, burning in, on the TV. So, but the picture right before that, there's a series of pictures right before it on the very same roll of film that was taken the day before on September 10th, 2001. My wife and I uh, were in the World Trade Towers in New York City. And we have those photos that of us there and enjoying the day and saying look we're at the trade towers and all this stuff and even said should we go eat at the restaurant and i remember saying like oh let's do it next time it'll always be here how could we have known that on that same roll of film one day later about 15 hours later in fact we'd have a photo where everything was changed When we look at these stories here in the book of Acts, we're looking at family stories. But they're stories that they were living out. It was their experience. But what was happening in this place was everything about the world was changing and they were living through it. And now when we look back, it's tempting to just read it as nice Bible stories. It's tempting to just look at it and say, oh yeah, I heard this in Sunday school. Or I know we just have to be talking about something on a Sunday morning. But we're talking about stories that fundamentally were changing the world. And they're part of our heritage. The brothers and sisters in Christ for 2,000 years have been living this experience that we read about. So we have the privilege of seeing back into our history That makes us who we are to this day. And so that's why as we go back into the book of Acts, this section we're looking at family stories. And we're going to see some of these epic stories and they don't all go the way you'd think. They're not all these great, like perfect stories I should say. And, And I can almost envision the first church saying like, oh do you remember that time a riot broke out in Ephesus and we were there? Yeah. Do you remember that time in Corinth when when we got attacked for this thing? Or or that time we got thrown into jail for no reason and beaten? Like, yeah, that was a good one. It was their family stories that we're going to read. And they shape who we are. So pray with me as we get started here today. And then we'll jump into the text. God, we thank you again for today. I thank you for uh, your goodness to us. And on a weekend like this, where many of us are thinking about 9-11, we're remembering where we were, remembering how the world changed. I can't help but to take a moment and pause. And thank you for the men and women um, here at Seacoast and uh, across the nation, across the world, the men and women who serve our country, who have made sacrifices for our freedom. We want to thank you for them on this weekend. And we want to pray, God, that we would be a church that moves forward and and learns how to live our lives, this family story, this history of living out our identity of who we are in you. Would you speak to us now in this place and shape and change our hearts as we learn together? In your name, amen. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Acts. We're in chapter 17. Chapter 17. And uh, for those of you who like to take notes, we have, uh, uh, or if you take the, use the Life Journal, we have a few left on the back tables as as more come in. But if you want to take notes today, we'll be walking you through this text. In Acts chapter 17, just a few things to get us up to speed. Uh, The first, you can divide the book of Acts in a few ways, but really there's three main movements in the book of Acts. In the first eight chapters, we call it, it's the church established, and we talk about the church established. What we're talking about is the church is the, the called out people who are loyal to Jesus. So it's those of us who are saying, hey, we're followers of Jesus. And, and that is the definition of the church. Now, there is a local church like Seacoast, but it's the global church as well. And in Act the first eight chapters of Acts, it's a church established. Those loyal to Jesus as they're establishing who they are, mostly in Jerusalem, through the next several chapters up to chapter 12, it's the church enlarged. And it's still largely uh, Jewish followers of Jesus because it began as it was uh, Jewish followers in the Messiah Jesus. And now we have the Jews from into Judea, Samaria, so a wider range of people. Um, But it's the church enlarged. It's growing in its geographic location. But then this section starts as Acts 13 through the end is the church expanded. And what do I, why expanded? What do we mean by that? But now we find that it's not just for Jewish believers, but now more and more people are following and believing in Jesus, and we have every tribe and tongue and nation through the ends of the earth start to become followers and loyal to Jesus. So we see that the, the community becomes very inclusive, and, and, and there's just uh, a lot going on, and that is Acts 13 through 28. And that is where we are today, right in the middle of that in Acts 17. So let's look at the text, Acts 17. And then we'll read a few verses and then talk it through a little bit here. So Acts 17. When they had traveled through Amphilopolis and Apollonia, you guys know where those are, uh, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue to, of the Jews. And according to Paul's custom, he visited them. And for three Sabbaths, he reasoned with them from scriptures, explaining and giving evidence that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. And saying, this Jesus, who I am proclaiming to you, is the Christ. Now let's stop right there. This is central to the story, what what he's explaining to them. But I want to get us up to speed. Now notice, they're traveling through different regions. This is in modern day Greece, uh, kind of on the far eastern side of Greece. As they travel through, and notice what they're doing. He's reasoning with them from the scriptures, explaining and giving evidence about Jesus, about the Messiah. And I just want to take a quick pause. And there's a a professor who worked at the seminary that I graduated from, Talbot Seminary, a professor and author named J.P. Moreland. He, He wrote a book called Love the Lord Your God with All Your Mind. And one thing I appreciated about that is sometimes in Christianity, we can focus so much on the love the Lord your God with all your heart side, the kind of the seed of your, your, your emotions and, and your feelings, or love the Lord your God with all your soul, your spirit, kind of that side where you feel like there's a spiritual connection to God or there's, there's something in there that you, you can't quite explain, but you know you're, there's this connection. But sometimes in the church, we don't focus so much on love the Lord your God with all your mind. It, it feels less spiritual, doesn't it? It's like, oh, we, you know, just have this logical thought and belief in God. But I want to give you freedom today, because some of you, you are on the logical end of the spectrum. If there is a spectrum of you know logic and emotion, you're you're on that logical side. And and sometimes you're sitting there, and, and I've seen and I've even talked with some of you. I'm like, hey, Are you, like, enjoying the worship and stuff? And you're like, yeah, I loved the worship today. It was awesome. Uh, But, and I think, well, but but you weren't raising your hands. You weren't into it. Like, I was totally into it. Like, okay, cool. It was, and and that's okay. There's this different spectrum of where we're at. But loving, I like how some of you are like, yeah, that's you. Uh, Loving the Lord your God with all your mind is a very biblical concept. And what we see here is Paul is reasoning with them, and he's explaining the scriptures and giving them evidence. In other words, they're having an intellectual conversation about faith. And I want to give you the freedom to have those, and I also want to challenge you that let's, as Christians, not check our brains at the door. Now, I I love the emotional side of faith, but it is really important that we engage and lean in in the intellectual side because God has made us intellectual. And there's a reason to believe, and that's what Paul is talking about with them. But he says this, I want you to get it. He was giving evidence that the Christ, this is the Greek word that means Messiah, the anointed one. So in a Jewish belief that God was going to send this Messiah figure, this Savior who would come, Uh, for the people. So Paul was giving evidence that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. And he was saying, Jesus, who I'm proclaiming to you, is that Messiah. So that's the message. The Christ Messiah would have to suffer and rise from the dead. And two, Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Christ, the one we're waiting for. It, It makes a lot of sense. Now, many of you perhaps, have asked this question. I know I've leaned into it before. Of, okay, I get, I, I get the biblical story. We're going to talk about it in a minute, that Jesus came, died for our sins, all that stuff. I get it. But why did God do it that way? Because if it's God, why couldn't he just, he could do it any way he wanted. He could provide salvation any way he wanted to do it. He could have said, hey, every time you sin, get down and give me a hundred push-ups, and you're forgiven. He he could have done that. You say, well, that sounds ridiculous. Well, so does sacrifice, doesn't it? He he could have done anything he wanted to forgive us for our sins. In fact, that seems more practical. Every time you sin, make sure you say 30 prayers or do something. But he didn't do it that way. And the question we need to wrestle with is, well, why? Now, I'm going to give you what I believe is the logical argument that Paul would use to show why the Christ had to suffer and die and rise from the dead. Now, The one thing to say about that is, but if God wanted to do it differently, he still could have. He could have. It's his universe, his rules, he makes the rules. But because God's a God of justice and order and systems, and that's part of who he is, this is why it makes sense. So for those of you who like to dive in, I don't have these points on the board for you, because I want you to just kind of hear them and write them as they make sense to you. Okay, so I'm going to give you a few. Here is the logical order of what I believe is what Paul would say, why did the Messiah have to suffer and die and rise from the dead? So first thing is this, we have to know, is the first sin resulted in the first death. So when Adam and Eve, we have the story of, of mankind in the garden at the beginning, and they were naked and unashamed. And in the Bible, anytime there's nakedness mentioned, it actually is symbolic of shame but so before sin was in the world they were naked and unashamed they were just hanging out we've talked about this before if you've been around Seacoast so they didn't experience shame even though they were naked and in each other's presence when sin enters in that's when they were like oh we have love handles and muffin tops all of a sudden it was with sin they they were aware of their nakedness they were aware of their and they became shameful They felt shame. I don't measure up. What if you don't like me like this? What if there's someone who is better looking than me? All of these are new thoughts that came because of sin. So now they're experiencing shame, according to Scripture. And they decided, they found some fig leaves, right? That's what our our imagery is in in art. And they sewed little, you know, bikinis and and put those on. It's like, oh, it's better, (laughs) And they quickly realize that, you know, when you're working in the garden, those fig leaf uniforms don't hold up very much. And they're feeling shame. So what did God do? We see that God killed innocent animals to pro- provide clothes for, the first, for us after sin. So the first sin resulted in the first death of someone innocent so that our shame would be covered up. you tracking with me? So that's, that's how this system started. Now, so sin resulted in death. Now, it resulted in more than the death of an innocent animal. Because in the picture of the Garden of Eden, we were living in perfection, presence of God, and we could eat from the tree of life, which meant we could live forever. But God took mankind out of his presence in the Garden of Eden, which is representative of paradise, and said, I don't want you to live forever in a state of sin. So actually, God's Mercy, his grace, he kicked us out. So not only now did an animal die to cover our shame, but we would face death. We'd face mortality because of sin. So sin resulted in death. Paul goes on to say that in the book of Romans. He says the wages of sin is death, meaning that the consequence of rebellion from God is that something will die. Now, so that's, that's how it begins. Now that leads to, for the Israelites, they enacted this system of sacrifice. So the first thing was that sin led to death. The second thing is this, is uh, sacrifice, this animal sacrifice, became a symbol to remind people of their guilt and of God's mercy. See, God it, it told them, I want you to have these animal sacrifices. But it was intended... To remind them every time they killed an innocent animal it was a reminder that said oh sin causes pain and death and destruction and brothers and sisters if we think that our sin doesn't have consequences outside of our own lives we're wrong it does and even if you say well my sins are private sins they just affect me well if it affects you it's going to affect people in your life too there is no private sin that only affects you. It eventually has shockwaves that go throughout your relationships. That's how it works. So God enacted the sacrificial system. That was a second thing, as a symbol of our guilt and of God's mercy. This is the week of Yom Kippur on the Jewish calendar. That means uh, the Day of Atonement. And it's a one-day year where, to this day, Jews won't work, and it's to remember your sin and ask for forgiveness. And in Leviticus chapter 16, we see that that's described how to do it. And the high priest would kill a goat, take the blood of the goat, go into the Holy of Holies, into the presence of God, and sprinkle that blood on what was called the mercy seat, saying the blood reminds us that our, our sin results in death. But God, we are sprinkling it on your mercy seat. We know that our forgiveness comes from your mercy. So, sin results in death, which led to the sacrificial system. That was a symbol. Then the third thing to think of, but the symbol of sacrifice was not sufficient to remove sins. It didn't remove their sins. It just reminded them of their sin. Okay, tracking with me still? So, they would sacrifice animals, but that was never the thing that forgave them. God was the one who forgave them. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 10, the author writes this, the law is only a shadow of good things that are coming, not the reality themselves. For this reason, the law can never, by the same sacrifices repeated repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. And then verse 3 and 4 of chapter 10 says, Those sacrifices are an annual reminder of our sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to remove or take away your sins. So, the third thing was they they realized, though we have a sacrificial system, it never forgave us for our sins. So this is the logical argument that Paul would say, and he's using scripture to point to it. Then, that led to, then, okay, if animals don't remove our sins, then what do we need? The fourth thing is this. Mankind Needed a sufficient substitute. If an animal wasn't a sufficient substitute, then we need someone who is sufficient. And the only thing that will substitute for a guilty human is an innocent human. And there are no innocent humans in this room today. <laughs> and there never has been until Jesus, God in flesh, walked on the earth. Now, If it was a one-for-one exchange, if it was, okay, let's find an innocent human to pay the price for every guilty human, again, that would be insufficient. So it needed to be more. It had to be an infinite being who also was human. In other words, God in flesh the prophets began speaking about this and saying, hey, God's sending a Messiah who's going to be God in flesh. He's going to be walk among us. He's going to be called uh, the Son of God, God with us. And he's ultimately going to be a sacrifice. In Isaiah chapter 53, look at these verses I have for you. Verse 11 says, By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many, for he will bear their wrongdoings. In verse 12, it says, Because he poured out his life unto death, he was counted with wrongdoers, yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the sinners. So we have now God started saying, I will come and be the sufficient sacrifice for you. This was written about somewhere between three to 500 years before Christ. So the, the idea was we are waiting for a Messiah. We're waiting for this person. This is the argument Paul would make. The final piece was this. But how do we know that sacrifice was sufficient? We have Jesus, who lived his life. He claimed to be God in flesh. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He said, I'm the good shepherd. He said that uh, I'm the bread of life. Everything you need uh, is in me. He said, I will suffer and die. He said, "I it has to be. That's what the prophets have been talking about. Jesus said all the right things. And then he was crucified and died. But if he stayed in the grave, we would have said, huh, well, he was a great public speaker. He was very persuasive, but he's dead. He's just another human. But if he did rise, then that confirms that everything he said, we can believe. And so Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he said, if Christ had not been raised your faith is worthless and you're still in your sins. How is that? <laughs> Verse 20 of 15, he says this, but the fact is, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who are asleep. For once, for since a man, through a man, came death came, that was Adam and Eve, by a man, Jesus, came the resurrection of the dead. So there was a sufficient sacrifice that came. And rising from the dead confirmed it. So in summary, here's the argument. Only God's Messiah can take away the sins of the world and make us right with God. And Jesus is that Messiah. That was Paul's argument with the people. So that's kind of the side note of what got us here. I know that's diving a little deeper for those of you who like to take those notes. Let's go back into the text now in verse four and see what happens. Some of them were persuaded and they joined Paul and Silas along with a large number of God-fearing Greeks and a significant number of the leading women in the city. But the Jews, and here what it says the Jews, it means the Jews who didn't believe in Jesus, because we know he just said many did. But the Jews, becoming jealous and taking along some wicked men from the marketplace, formed a mob and set the city in an uproar. And they attacked the house of Jason and they were seeking to bring them out to the people. When they did not find Paul and Silas, they began dragging Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have upset the world have come here also. And Jason has welcomed them, and they all act contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. And they stirred up the crowd and the city authorities who heard these things. When they received a pledge from Jason and the others, they released them. So here's where we get into the opposition to the message. Now, a few questions that come up. Here's the first question. Who's Jason? If you have the answer, let me know. Because this is all we know about Jason is in these verses. He comes out of nowhere, he goes back into nowhere. This is Jason's story in Scripture. Isn't that great? (laughs) Again, part of the reason is when Paul writes... Uh, Sorry, when Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, when he uses names and locations, the point is, I want you to look there. If you want to believe the story for yourself, go ask Jason, who lives in Thessalonica. So this is a historic technique to to corroborate the story. But I want to focus on the opposition. Notice this. The Jews, when they became jealous, they became jealous. What were they jealous of? Notice they weren't jealous of the message of Jesus. They became jealous because many became followers of Jesus. See, all of a sudden when your position is threatened or your preferences are threatened or your point of view is threatened and someone else is, 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 and people are not just believing you anymore, all of a sudden they dig in their heels and they start to fight for, this is my perspective. This is my point of view, and I'm right. Which we never see happen anymore in this world. It's only happened in the Bible. (laughs) Yeah, they became jealous, because all of their power was now under threat from this new movement. What if people don't start listening to us? They don't listen to us anymore. We're losing our grip on them. And They became jealous. And what do you do when you become jealous? You go to the marketplace and find some wicked men to help you. <laughs> I love that. I kind of pictured it like, oh, what are we going to do? So many people are become followers of Jesus. You know what we need? We need some wicked men. <laughs> Where do you find them? The marketplace. Let's go. So they went to the marketplace, which probably is how you do it today, too. <laughs> Swing the open, the, the, you know, they swung open the doors of the saloon and said, we need some wicked men to help us. We'll go out, buy you a shot of whiskey each. They're like, we're in. <laughs> so the mob goes, and they fight against this new movement. They stir up the crowd. They're opposing this message. What are they opposing? Look at what, well, look what their argument is. These men who have upset the whole world have come here also. This is a Greek term. That means they've turned the world upside down. Everything has changed because of their message. They've upset the whole world, and now they're here in Thessalonica. They're going to upset our world. It's going to change the way we view things. They're going to change the way we live. They have a different perspective. And notice the final critique. They act contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king named Jesus. I heard that as I read that, I just think, wow. Imagine if what Christians were accused of was being loyal to Jesus. Imagine if people said, Oh, those Christians, we know what they stand for. We know what they're all about. We know their perspective on this issue. Oh, this is they're all the same. We know these Christians. They follow Jesus. They love like Jesus. They serve like Jesus. They sacrifice their lives for others like Jesus. They're willing to to hang out with the people who disagree with them just like Jesus did. They're willing to to lean in and be people of forgiveness and grace and mercy and compassion because that's what Jesus did. Oh, they're upsetting the whole world. That's not how it works. What if we were accused of being like Jesus? What if that was the narrative? The early church it wasn't a political point of view and here at Seacoast we're blessed with having both sides of the aisle every week (laughs) which means we have both sides of the aisle when we talk about masks and vaccines and recalls and presidents but what we want to be accused of is people who are loyal to Jesus who love each other even though there's people who have different perspectives on all those issues and you have the right to those perspectives, you have a civic duty to vote and vote your conscience and do it prayerfully and thoughtfully, that's fine. That's, that's what we have the freedom to do. But at the end of the day, if we will be known for something, please, 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 let us be known to be people who walk in the footsteps of Jesus. Are you with me? Because that is what upsets the whole world in a good way. That's what turns the whole world upside down. Everything else comes and goes. In 10 years, it'll be a new divisive issue and something new. But Jesus is the one that actually turns lives upside down and brings hope to people and breaks addictions and restores marriages and gives people something to live for and purpose. That is where we find our hope. Amen? Amen. So let's be known for that. And let's be accused of that. Even the angels are breaking out in song right now with that. You know, they're responding to it. <laughs> so the rest of the story, and we don't have time to get into it, they move from there. They go into a new region. They go down to Berea. And it says in Berea, it, it's interesting, in verse 11, it says, the people were more noble-minded there than in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily. They were using their brains to see whether these things were true. And many of them believed. And then some of the mob from Thessalonica went down to Berea and did the same thing, stirred up the crowds. Which, by the way, before we get too critical of Thessalonica and those who live there, Paul wrote two letters to them. They're in our Bibles as, as the book of First and Second Thessalonians and wrote some beautiful things about them. Let me hear about what happened to the reputation of the Christians in Thessalonica in v- verse 5 of... Th- 1st Thessalonians 1. Our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in the power and in the Holy Spirit and full conviction. Just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sakes, you became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word during great affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. You became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. So those who received, who were accused of being upsetting the whole world, who were loyal to Jesus, were imitators of Christ and became an example to the whole region that we know as Macedonia. Such a great challenge for us today. And as our uh, worship team starts to return, I want to give us, how do we respond to this? A few things to think about. First way I want us to respond today is this. Believe the life-giving truth of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Believe the life-giving truth of the gospel. There's a reason to believe. There's a reason to accept it as true. There's a reason to follow after this. It will. It makes a difference, changes our lives. It shapes who we are. Believe this gospel. It has the power to turn your world upside down. And here's the thing: it's not the power of positive thinking, it's not the power of self-help or self-loathing. It's the power of Jesus entering into your broken state and restoring and repairing and giving you hope and giving you life. And that is found in Jesus and Jesus alone. So believe in this life-giving truth. If you're here today and you've been rejecting the gospel, maybe because you say, ah, I'm just I'm too intellectual. I don't need to. I, I urge you, give God a chance examine the scriptures. Second thing is this, give your allegiance to King Jesus. Let's be known for people who are loyal to Jesus. Not a cause, not a position, not a political party. By the way, just so you know, no political party is the Christian party, by the way. There are Christian things in some parties, but there are very unchristian things in some parties and all parties, okay? The Christian party is the party of those who follow Jesus. So give your allegiance to King Jesus and third, don't expect smooth roads. (laughs) Just because there's open doors that God urges you to walk through, it doesn't mean there's easy paths. In fact, through the book of Acts, what we found in the chapters leading up to this As it said, the Holy Spirit prevented them from going to this city. The Holy Spirit prevented them from going to this city and allowed them to go to Philippi, where they were beaten and thrown into prison. And then allowed them to come to Thessalonica, where the crowds were stirred up against them. And allowed them to go to Berea, where now they're going to be chased out of there. And allowed them to be shipwrecked and allowed them to be in the middle of a riot. And the open doors don't lead to smooth roads, but it's God's road. And if you're going to be on any road, you might as well be there with God, whether it's rough or smooth. Even Jesus modeled that for us. He did not have a smooth road. He had to suffer. Paul, when he became a Christian, the thing that God said to him is, I'm going to show you how much you will suffer for my name. How is that for a conversion experience? I'd say like, oh, well, thank you for that. Maybe I'll think about this a little longer. The question we ask, when we don't expect smooth roads is just who is your king in the moments on those roads? Is it you? Is it your political view? Is it your wealth? Who is your king in those moments? Or is it your king Jesus who said, I've been there. I'm with you. I'll never leave you and forsake you. I'm walking with you on this road. We're going to upset the whole world. Just hang with me. We're going to end our time and we're going to return our hearts just with a song of response and praise, reminding us of who Jesus is in our lives. And as we do that, I want to invite you, would you stand? It's kind of a sign of unity together and I just want to pray and just let's invite the Spirit of God to shape us and work in us in this place. So God, we come to you now and we confess that there are a lot of times when we fight for our perspective our point of view we fight to be right because i mean we know we're right and lord sometimes we get so caught up in that that we forget about you so i just ask lord would you continue to shape us and change us lord would you we would you come into this space and and, and be the king in our lives that we claim that you are lord and we don't want you just to be Savior. We want you to be Lord. And so, God, in this place, for those who maybe have wandered from you, would you call them back? For those who've been resisting you, would you welcome them in? And maybe for those of us who've been walking with you, Lord, would you remind us that you're with us. You'll never leave us forsake us. And if the whole world turns upside down, God, we are so grateful that's happening because of you. So Lord, would you receive our praise now as we turn our hearts back and remind ourselves of the truth of who you are in our lives. We give you this time in Jesus' name.
2: Hope is only Jesus. For my life is wholly bound to... You. dark, but I am not forsaken, for by my side, the Savior, he will stay. I labor on in weakness and rejoicing, for in my need, his power
3: is displayed. this I have Shepherd, will defend me
2: through the deep. This valley oh, the night has been won, and I shall Future, the future sure the price it has been paid for Jesus bled and he suffered for my pardon and he was raised to
3: overcome the grave. to this I hope my sin is undefeated Trains are bliss I can see now I'm free At night, but through Christ in me With every, with every breath I long to follow Jesus Oh, he will renew Until I stand with joy before the throne To this I ask My hope is on me too Christ in when the race, will up, it's when the and my lips shall be at cry, Christ. Through Christ.
1: Let's remember that truth in the end, that it's not us, but Christ in us. That's our hope. That's our hope. So thanks for being here today. uh, Let's give a uh, thanks to Haley Montgomery and her band. You can support Haley Montgomery by going on Spotify or, or even better, whatever costs the most to buy our music, do it that way. And uh, we'd love to do that, to, to say thank you for, for them being up here. Love when they lead us in worship. So as we go, allow me to pray for you. Um, and again, if you're a guest, we'd love to have lunch with you and just immediately after the service, right upstairs behind this building. So let we pray for you. God, we thank you so much again for today. We thank you for the reminder, Lord, that you are Lord and that you live in us, Christ in us. So as we go, I pray that we would go in your ways. And we pray now, brothers and sisters, seek us, to receive this blessing. Go knowing that you are sons and daughters of God. You are fully forgiven. You are fully free. And Christ lives in you. And that same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead is alive in you. So go now in the power of the Spirit, walking in his way. And should you be accused of anything this week, let it be that you are loyal to King Jesus. Amen. Thanks for coming out. We encourage you to say hello to the people around you. Grab a cup of coffee. We look forward to seeing you next week. Thanks for being here.